Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and today with me is... I'm Hwai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film on the Tracking Board and a pop culture journalist in D.C. I am Anya Crittenden, associate editor at the Tracking Board. And we have a very special guest with us today, Raphael Smith of Washington, D.C. He's a graphic artist there. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, my name is Raphael Smith. I am a uh, graphic artist originally from St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands, but I went to school here at American University, uh, decided to stay, and so here I am on the podcast. So the reason that we have Raphael with us today um, as a graphic artist and graphic designer, we are going to be talking about a specific field of animation, specifically anime. It is a topic that is something of a a story from my past, <laughs> as it were. So I'll have to dive into that. Um, but HT, why don't you go ahead and you're going to be leading the discussion on this one. Yeah, this is this uh, discussion has been kind of my baby. Anime was a big part of my pop culture education growing up, and uh, it kind of transitioned from that to like a lot of the Asian um, movies and dramas that I ended up consuming, and that eventually led to American movies. But uh, I really uh, love anime, and like it began with the. Uh, boom of anime in like the late 1990s, early 2000s. And we're talking a little bit about that as well as um, the current trend that we're seeing of Hollywood adapting anime. So it's come back into the scene recently, uh, most recently with Ghost in the Shell, which just hit theaters this weekend. Um, we'll have a lot of thoughts about that too. Uh, Raphael too is um, a big fan of anime. Yeah. Well, I think fan is an understatement actually. He knows a lot more about anime than any of us here. Which is kind of why we brought him on. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't you talk about uh, your love of anime? <clears throat> um, I guess more realistically to define it as is it's something that I grew up adjacent to very actively but also just having it be something that I watched a lot have it be something that influenced the way in which you know I approached the visual arts and you know it influenced the decision in like fifth or sixth grade to start learning Japanese and unlike a lot of people who are interested in anime I very like actually learned Japanese and then graduated from American University with a minor in Japanese language. Mm. Um, so it's it was something that kind of sparked an interest in like looking at a lot of things that come from there in general. But with anime, it was like, okay, I get to approach the field of animation, but I get to approach it in terms of it being applied to something a little bit more wider. It's, it's, it's more of a medium than it is a genre, I think, in the sense of cartoons in the United States, you know, historically have been more towards the use of you know, to make something funny or, you know, to have an action series. A lot of times, often, uh, a commercial for an action figure in the guise of an action series. Transformers. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I just, I just always thought it was very interesting that, like, there was just so many different kinds of stories being told. So I, I, I investigated it very, like, deeply. So I think anime is one of the few uh, genres of animation that really explores the limits that you can do with animation, just like creativity, creativity, ugh, creatively, mm. um, and just like, you, some, like it also explored what you can't do with live action film. Mm -hmm. like a lot of what you see with U.S. animation, it kind of is limited by the um, idea of what we do with live action film, mm -hmm. um, whereas anime, um, and especially in the 90s, you see a lot of groundbreaking films by directors like Satoshi Kon, right. uh, by Mamoru Oshii. Oshii. Yeah, <laughs> Um And, like, those really broke barriers in terms of, like, what you can do with animation. Like, Paprika, I actually just watched it this, re this weekend in preparation for this, um, this episode. It's <laughs> really densely packed with all sorts of just, like, amazing visuals and um, definitely something you could not see on screen in, like, any Hollywood movie or any, like, live-action movie in general. I have a question for you then. So mm -hmm. do you think the trend, the more recent trend in U.S. animation with shows like Steven Universe or Adventure Time right. or Over mm -hmm. the Garden Wall or even Avatar and Korra, have, do you think those are influenced by Japanese animation then? And that we're getting more of these kind of like more, I guess, groundbreaking and different sort of animation here in the States. So yeah, with, with a lot of those series, and like I was saying, I, I think it's good that you widened the pool of influence out to something like Steven Universe, um, because with Rebecca, someone like Rebecca Sugar, it's not perhaps so immediately evident, 
But especially if you were following her, like I was following her, like from way back in the day before she had anything to do with the animation industry, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was a lot of kind of implicit influence visually from anime that I could see. That I was like, okay, yeah, I, I know what kind of stuff she watches. I could see it. Um, but with stuff like that, it's the fact that anime has kind of come over to the West, done well. You've had this diversity of stories of who it's about, who it's targeted toward. And I think in the Western animation industry, um, they've, or at least some people have seen that, okay, like, you know, the people that are coming to us and pitching us these stories that are like, no, this isn't going to drive enough, like, toy sales, so we're not going to buy it. Mm-hmm. I think they've been like, okay, there's there's other streams of, of, of revenue that we can tap, so let, let's, let's greenlight this, that, or the other. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with Raphael, essentially. I think that, like, anime has had a huge influence on U.S. animators today, and... Um, in like more of a, a distant sense, like in Steven Universe or Over the Garden Wall, but also in a very clear sense, like Avatar: The Last Airbender. Right. Those mm-hmm. like were definitely pulled from influences like uh, Miyazaki and mm-hmm. uh, all those kind of things. And now the uh, some of the, the people behind uh, Korra and Avatar are doing Voltron mm-hmm. and for Netflix, mm-hmm. and which is clearly it's a remake of the anime series from right, mm-hmm. and so. It's by the same animation style, so like it's almost like closer to the original like source material than Avatar and Korra were. Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit about the um, influence <clears throat> that anime had uh, coming over to the U.S. in the late '90s, early 2000s, um, and that boom was really great. It brought us, uh, you know, the popularity of Pokemon. It brought us the popularity Dragon of Red Dragon, Dragon Ball, Ball. Yeah. Sailor Moon. <laughs> Sailor Moon. Um, even later on, like Yu-Gi-Oh and Card Captors, mm-hmm. and again, those all became like War toys and and cars and everything like that. <laughs> Beyblade. <laughs> Beyblade. <laughs> Let it rip. <laughs> <laughs> And it created a lot of uh, fans of anime, but then I think in the uh, past, like the mid-2000s, anime kind of disappeared from the mainstream consciousness. Mm. Um, do we know why that is? Like, maybe we'll put, a, put forward a couple theories. For me and my friend group, it was not to, not saying that we grew out of it, but just we stopped watching it because Toonami wasn't really showing mm. the shows that, you know, they weren't showing newer shows. Right. So they were just showing repeats of Dragon Ball Z and Code Lyoko and, like, other shows that are Japanese-influenced or, or f- imported from Japan. Mm. And and then Toonami t- went away. They weren't providing content to maintain an interest base. Yeah. Why is that, do you think? I couldn't tell you. I know Cartoon Network went in a different direction mm-hmm. right around mm-hmm. the time that I was turning like 15 or so like they stopped switching to live action kind of yeah they were trying trying to (laughs) they were showing more I wouldn't say younger content but a little bit younger like Mm. I guess a main point would be Teen Titans Mm. to Teen Titans Go right Mm. like that's almost like the perfect example of how you can describe what Cartoon Network did Mm. but they also have great shows like Adventure Time right and Mm. uh, Steven Universe so like there's almost like a renaissance in the in with those shows, but there was a weird period between like 2005 and 2010 where nothing was really uh, showing, and a lot of people our age were going into high school then. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that also, and I I just think there wasn't like something that captured the audience's mind or attention uh, from Japan mm-hmm. uh, in the mainstream. At right. Least. Right. I'm sure, and, you know obviously there was anime still being made, right. but just right. not it wasn't hitting us. Uh, hitting America like it was with Toonami and other mm-hmm. factors. Right. And now we, Crunchyroll is a real like legal way of watching anime. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for a while it wasn't super, it was like kind of like black market. Or... I used to be on Crunchyroll. Yeah. I was an admin. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> well, not for the actual site, but for one of the fan pages. Okay. So like now that now that's like a, a, a way of, you know, it's on streaming devices on Roku's and mm-hmm. stuff. So there's an easy, it's in a lot of animes on Netflix. Like I think now right. there's just more ways of watching it. Right. I think right. before it was just Tsunami mm. for most people. Yeah. Because, because now that the, the means of accessing it, especially via streaming, you know, you don't have to go out and find it on some torrent site. Now, you or know, get like a VHS on on the on the you know some not a bootlegger, but like you know somewhere we can somewhere buy. in Chinatown or something. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> now, you know, seasons one through three are available on Netflix, and you can mm-hmm. binge watch. And of course, that's you know the preferred means of consumption for a lot of people. <laughs> so that's, that's very convenient, and mm-hmm. I think that does have perhaps something to, to do with 
the interest in these sorts of series becoming a little more wider again. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's something nice to kind of chew on and, and, and watch a lot of at a time. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. You can find it on Hulu, and it's just the easiest mm-hmm. way to access it. And there's always just a ton of episodes per show. Like, right. I remember um, there's nine seasons of Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, like and and that's not including Dragon Ball before right, it and right. Dragon Ball GT after it. Right, right. And so like right now you can get all nine seasons on Blu-ray, which or DVD. Like to me it was like it's stunning because I remember my friend used to bring over like he had bought like a two episode arc of the Majin Buu series uh-huh. on VHS and we watched it and we were like that's but that's all we could and we he had right. two he had Cartoon Network he had Toonami so we would watch it like as it was coming on as it was coming on. But then, then it gets to the point where they just. We, I remember specifically there was this one moment where we were watching. We kept rewatching because they kept showing it. This Dragon Ball Z all the way up to Vegeta uh, sacrificing himself. Mm. And I remember the episode was called Atonement. And I just remember that was the episode they stopped, and then they would go back to the beginning, and right. they did that maybe five or six times before they actually got new episodes to show. Mm-hmm. So like they would just rerun the, the same stuff. Yep. So that's my real like way into anime was Toonami. But I only watched Dragon Ball Z, Tenchi Muyo. I, I watched Tenchi and, Muyo. Uh, First one, harem anime. One, I think there might have been one other, or that might have been it, yeah. Because I didn't have Cartoon Network until I was like in sixth grade. Mm. So I had to watch my, my friend's stuff. Right. See, as a person who didn't grow up having cable, this is very fascinating to me because it was never about access. Mm. I always had to get... So my co- my cousins had cable, so they would record episodes of Sailor Moon on VHS for me and bring it over whenever they visited me, and that's how I watched Sailor Moon. Interesting. Yeah. So that, like, it became to me, like, a matter of really going out and finding that that content. And, like, when YouTube first started, that was a really great place for me because mm-hmm. they were uploading tons of episodes on right. there. And then I got into Crunchyroll, which, as you know, was a, I have a long and story history with. <laughs> And um, I also got into manga, which was a mm. lot easier to access because they were all over, you know, bookstores and Barnes and Nobles and stuff. But even then, like, I think that I fell out of anime because it kind of had, it kind of got like this uh, bad reputation around it. Let's talk a little bit about that. How it kind of anime kind of fell out of favor in terms of um, just like the mainstream consciousness and like it kind of got a bad reputation. <laughs> you look like you have something to say. Uh, no, no, I'm just like I'm just well, like thinking. I'm not I just yeah. know in so, socially in high school, if you were into anime, you were not high up on the class, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. you on the ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might have been a reason why, because like it wasn't cool mm-hmm. to be into anime, but within like people who were into anime, like they you know they didn't really care Mm -hmm. but so like but like i think the 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 like the presence of of anime in schools kind of diminished and then became kind of like not pariah but like you know the the stereotype that you know of like these these are just a bunch of nerds like watch watch an anime was probably a heavy factor on why it kind of like was pushed away yeah, it's funny to me because it was so mainstream, but at the same time it was so niche, so much so that like people who were actually really passionate about it were kind of you know, social pariahs, like you were saying. Like it was that kid who was running around in the Naruto stance or something like that. <laughs> 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 Anya. <laughs> um, but I think that like the content of anime also kind of became a little bit strange. Really? You, well, you think it increased? I don't know. I don't know if it increased. I, th- I guess it always had that kind of reputation around <laughs> it, too. Even, like, in its creative boom in the 90s, it was always a little bit weird, and that had a lot to do with, like, Japanese culture and its embrace of, like... Um, how, how do I word this? Um, its embrace of very strange... Uh, I want to say fetishes. You know, I, I feel as though... If there were the same set of circumstances present for the animation industry as it was in like the 80s and the 90s in Japan, as there were in America, and it wasn't a case of you know a few companies having monopolized the market and monopolized access to resources, access to talent, then you would have seen all of those same things in America. It's just that it's a different ball game over there. Yeah. There's there's people will watch you know. Uh, a set of what they call OVAs. Mm-hmm. So back in the days when stuff used to come out on tape and on Laserdisc, 
you might have a series that's only six six episodes over overall. Mm-hmm. Each episode might be forty five minutes to an hour, uh, and they come out like bi yearly, like twice a year or like every year. And you know, some people will throw down like a good amount of money to watch a six part OVA about some businessman who likes to golf when he's not stressed out at the office if he's told well enough. <laughs> yeah. Can that happen in the states? I don't. I'm not inclined to think so. Maybe now with the with the internet. Yeah, with yeah, the internet, with perhaps. With like, perhaps. Yeah, like you yeah. can have a niche. Yeah. show like that. You could yeah. have you could have something like that for you know for older people. You could have something that's like an adaptation of you know something that's for younger people. You could have an adaptation of. Uh, I was gonna almost gonna curse. Pardon me. Um, <laughs> like think of Fifty Shades of Grey. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That if it was a Japanese property and it was written by a Japanese author, that would have gotten an anime almost immediately. <laughs> immediately, it, it would have come out faster than the, the movies had to come out in the United States. Mm. So I just think I think it's more so um, a set of factors that determine how stuff is going to get distributed in terms of ease and mm-hmm. in terms of its ability to make money. I think How that industry is. works, essentially. I think it's more of that. And there's like a higher moral like moral code, I think, in America. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, like, An ostensible one, yeah. yeah. Even though we've gotten rid of the Hayes Code and all mm. that, there's yeah. still a lot that American televisions will not show. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, <laughs> so, I feel like, Anya, I feel like you've been very quiet. Do you have anything you want to add about, like, <laughs> Anime is boom and it's sort of downfall in the U.S. mainstream consciousness. I mean, it's just funny to listen to because it's like that's my it's like a parallel to my life. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> since I was super, I was so into anime in middle school. Like part of anime club, went to, went to all the anime conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was actually never into like Dragon Ball or anything like that. My my three big ones in middle school was probably Inuyasha, Yu Yu Hakusho, and yes. Sailor Moon. Oh, Yu Yu Hakusho. That was the other one I was thinking mm-hmm. Yeah, Yu yeah, Yu Hakusho was great. Um, and then I found out my cousin is a voice actor for anime. <gasps> what? <laughs> so a, du- a dub actor. Mm, right. Um, yeah. And so I actually saw him at a convention once. It was very surreal. <laughs> um, <laughs> very weird. Um, and then, yeah, it was when high school, and I started to kind of get away from it, and, like, I definitely noticed the whole, like, it was, like, it wasn't cool any- in middle school it was cool mm-hmm. to be into anime, and by the time you got to high school it wasn't cool anymore. Um, to be fair, like, I started becoming the drama nerd, and I was in theater and choir and stuff, so that was my new, like, nerd mm-hmm. niche. Um, <laughs> I was, like, that kid. Um, but yeah, it wasn't very cool anymore, cool anymore, and I think just, like, my tastes evolved. Yeah. Um, and, like, narratively, anime wasn't satisfying me in the way I wanted my media to satisfy me, mm-hmm. I guess. Right. Um, if I look back on it, the animes that I've enjoyed the most over the years have been the ones that have been, like, a set number of episodes and, like, a set, like, a, and a strong, tight narrative. And you look at things like Inuyasha and Dragon Ball and They're the franchises. hundreds of episodes. Yeah. They're franchises. Yeah. And that just wasn't doing it for me mm-hmm. anymore. I still my taste had kind of grown. I still don't. Think but there I are some that I, Yasha. I yeah, I definitely did not. Um, <laughs> but there are some animes that I remember very fondly, mm-hmm. and I you know still really enjoy, which we can chat about at the end. Yeah, no, like they there there's some good storytelling in anime. Like we forget about that because it was just like so ingrained in our childhood, right. and so we we think of it fondly. So it might be like a lot of rose colored glasses that we're looking at these. Um, series through, but I do think that like you know they had a lot to offer in mm-hmm. terms of storytelling, um, some more so than like a lot of uh, U.S. animation or U.S. cartoons that were available to us. Um, but then yeah, I guess it's a matter of all the things that we touched on, like access, the kind yeah. of the trend of anime like just fell. Um, maybe there's no really explanation for it. Although I do want to touch on one little thing that we talked about. Raphael talks about this uh, before the podcast a while ago. Just kind of. Uh, the animation quality in a lot of animes these days has kind of uh, gone downhill as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that like that and like has influenced you know the the anime like how anime has been popularized here? Like if there's a down downfall downfall for quality in animation, but also quality in storytelling, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if. In general, you're seeing an overall down decline in the quality of Japanese animation, or at least particularly the sort that's getting imported to the West and to the United States. Then that will impact perhaps people's perception of it, because 
it being a visual medium, one of the things that for a lot of people was a striking quality of it is how dynamic it was, mm-hmm. even if it was a limited, you know, animation series. Something like Dragon Ball Z, you know, to keep going back to that as the very easy example, mm-hmm. is a limited animation television series. Like, it does not have as much frames as the typical American television series. Mm-hmm. But because of the strength of some of the lead animators on series like that, they know how to sometimes overcome that obstacle and sometimes make it a strength and that's part of where the aesthetic of anime actually comes from taking that that obstacle of not having the same amount of frames to tell the same to uh, tell a long story and then just make it like very like snappy and like a lot of like very dynamic poses like you see that in in anime you know you kind of think it's just an aesthetic thing but you know it's it's part of the 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 process the process the Mm -hmm. process of making it move um but if you know getting it out there and meeting the bottom line becomes more of the priority, then yeah, it's going to look not as good. Mm-hmm. And I think that people are not really going to be as wowed by it in mm-hmm. the same sense. That's, of course, my speculation. Yeah. But I think that it's going to enter into it. Yeah, this was uh, sparked by our conversation about Sailor Moon Crystal, which mm-hmm. came out on Hulu, and I was really excited for it. But yeah. um, I did watch a couple episodes and was very disappointed by the did animation quality. Did not look good quality. at all. It did not look did good. Did not look and good. And you saw, a, like, when I watched it, there was a lot of mistakes in, mm-hmm. like, the animation too. Like, it was obviously very rushed. Right. And you could see, like, parts that were not fully animated or that were not animated uh, smoothly. Whereas, like, the 90s Sailor Moon still holds up today. It's mm-hmm. so good and beautiful. And, um... I will say Sailor yeah. Moon's crystal animation got better in season two. Did it? Oh, you it? watched all of yeah. it? Oh, okay. Yeah, my, my favorite my favorite scout hadn't showed up in season one yet. I wasn't leaving before my favorite scout showed up. <laughs> Who's like... your favorite scout? Oh, Haruka. Obviously. Ah. Haruka was one of the biggest... She was one of the biggest fictional influences on me growing up. Mm. Like, I love her. Yeah, I really did like yeah. that about anime, that it was very open towards, like, LGBT characters mm. and, like, characters who are not, like, of the... A lot of different relationships and stuff in anime. And, like, right. some would would deem that, like, not appropriate for children, but I thought it was really amazing, like, how they just kind of didn't see that as, like, a, a children's or adult issue. Mm. Um, but, yeah, uh... Anything else you guys want to add about that? I just, uh, my girlfriend's been showing me FMA Brotherhood, Mm -hmm. um, and I've noticed that what you were talking about with, like, there'll just be parts where they, I mean, like, the the face will be animated, but, like, nothing else will be moving, or, like, they'll have a character facing away from the the camera Mm -hmm. frame, Mm -hmm. and they'll be, like, you know, talking to a window mm-hmm. and it'll just be like a, almost like a still shot yep. of that but there'll be dialogue behind it yep. mm-hmm. and I, I noticed that I mean it, I wouldn't it's not bad right, I just it's right. different it's right. different than right. American animation where right. everything has, everything to, be has to be moving yeah. if you've ever seen an episode of Spongebob yeah. nothing is still in that unless it has to be still right. um, and I, I just like it's like oh this is very interesting I wonder like part of me in the back of my head was I wonder if that's a budget thing or just an animation partially. style thing. Mm-hmm. Partially, I think I think it didn't arise intentionally initially, but I think over time people began to kind of appreciate whatever kind of particular differences that approach to storytelling might engender or events, and they were like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep using kind of these principles. But you'll see um, stuff like uh, what's it called Redline. Um, anime with a higher frame rate, and it's a little bit more to Western tastes, I guess, in that in that aspect. But yeah, no, I think it was budgetary at first. Mm. That makes sense. So I want to talk a little bit about um, the influence of anime. Uh, going back to Satoshi Kon and Hayao Miyazaki, like those those directors really influenced not only anime in general, but also uh, Hollywood filmmaking. Mm-hmm. You see um, touches of what. Satoshi Kon did with Paprika or mm-hmm. Tokyo Godfathers and Millennium Actress in Hollywood movies like Hollywood movies like Inception. Right. Um, and I think that like there has been a dearth of really renowned directors mm-hmm. in like anime and in Japan who have had that influence um, since like Kon and uh, Miyazaki. Like Studio Ghibli is still cranking out good. Right quality uh, animation, but, like, Miyazaki has taken a step back, even though he's come out of retirement again, just because mm-hmm. he can't stop. <laughs> I know. I love him, and I'm very happy that he keeps <laughs> working, but I am wor- worried about him. <laughs> but, and, you know, at the same time, it's like, do you think that, like, no, they're no longer being a strong, creative voice in the anime industry and, like, in movie making and in the, the uh, TV shows? Do you think that, like, that has... 
a part in like anime becoming less less popular? It could be.、Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the people who are occupying the positions now in the animation industry, where people like Khan and people like Miyazaki kind of got their training. You know, those people are subject to the forces of the market now, and the forces of the market now are either adaptations of stuff in magazines, you know, for weekly television, or very niche stuff for otaku fanboys.、Mm-hmm. And of course, it's not just that that's being a little reductive. But if that's where you're kind of sharpening your chops, like the best you can really get out of that in terms of an overall animator is somebody you know who does very good key animation drawings, you know. You know they don't lose too much meat out of it when it goes to the assistant animator or what have you,、mm-hmm. but people like Khan and people like Miyazaki were in the business where there was that sector, but there was you know just a lot more things. You were working on a lot of other different kinds of series. You weren't only just becoming a good animator so you could make sure that you know a woman looks believable in her new transformation <laughs> sequence in this. Adaptation of of Idol Master Forty Nine. I don't know,、mm-hmm. but、uh, but yeah, no. I think that partially what a lot of these things that they work on are for are people who are they are targeted to, and what kind of narrative sensibilities they pick up on as a result of working on almost just that. It's going to lead to people who don't come up with the same kind of creative output as as Khan or Miyazaki, and that's not even to make a value judgment. That's just being descriptive.、Mm. There is going to be that difference, I feel.、Mm. But you know, what do I know? Like, I don't live in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of speculation about like the Japanese animation industry, but I think like it's really interesting and eye-opening for me because it is like an industry that is still ongoing、mm-hmm. in Japan, but is and is putting out still like good work, but is、right. just like、um, I guess it's become more mechanized and like less and more like. They target into the people who are gonna pay sixty dollars for a DVD that's got like two episodes on it. Like,、yeah. like when you have people like that and they exist to that degree, it 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 makes perfect business sense to kind of work on Drek.、Mm. You know,、mm, interesting. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the comic book industry here. Yes, it's like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like underpaid, undervalued workers,、mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah.、Um, So moving on from the kind of anime booms, the anime downfall, I want to talk about influence beyond just animation.、Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about the Hollywood adaptations of anime that has become the trend recently. So not only is Ghost in the Shell, which has just hit theaters,、um, the first and last, it's going to be followed by the Death Note、uh, Netflix series,、uh, which is an adaptation of 2005.、Um, Manga anime is actually well, I remember the live action movie、mm. was in Japan was、mm-hmm. made in two thousand five. I don't recall I, when the, the the manga came out. It came out like sometime in the early two thousand. Oh, early two thousand. Yeah, yeah.、Um, so that's coming out on Netflix, and then there have been talks for an Akira、um, mm. live action, which has been just gestating in development hell for years.、Um, Oh, I also know they're doing yes, exactly. a、uh, Full Metal Alchemist live action, but I don't think it's American. Yeah, Japanese are doing that.、Oh, Although、okay. that's actually one that I would prefer with with American actors or yeah, with European see, actors. Yeah, see, that one is like because, that's not a big deal. Yeah, like the、white. setting is actually like in a European inspired <laughs> setting. Yeah,、so. yeah. They re- they re- side note, they released an image of、uh, what Alphonse looks like, and it looks just like what he looks like in the animation. Anime.、Mm. So I'm, I'm hesitantly excited for that. <laughs> Um, so I I don't blame Hollywood for looking to anime to be adapt to adapt to live action because there's such a wealth、mm-hmm. of like resources. There's so many good stories that you can do with with it, but、um, there's been a lot of controversy about it, and、uh, I feel like it's been talked about a lot. But I do want to talk a little bit about it here, just like you know the issues of whitewashing and the backlash over whether Hollywood should be making these in the first place.、Mm. Um, so what do you guys think about that? I think there's a benefit to making them, but don't whitewash them.、Mm-hmm. Like I think that you, anime is popular enough that if you cast it correctly, it could you know it will work. You know, there studios are always like, oh, we got to make it white for、mm-hmm. the you know mainstream audiences, and that's their thinking behind it. But there's an increasing backlash. To that,、mm. like I feel like maybe fifteen, twenty years ago, or even cl- maybe five or ten years ago,、uh, whitewashed ad- adaptations wouldn't get the backlash that there was that it's receiving now. Right,、mm. and I think now that Hollywood continues to do the same thing that Hollywood does, 
but society and pop culture and the internet, there's a lot more hot takes and think pieces behind mm-hmm. everything, and people are reading a lot more of, of these and making their own opinions and saying, I don't like this, I don't want this, mm-hmm. and I think that's why Ghost in the Shell is only going to make $20 million this weekend. So I do want to point out that the backlash comes uh, primarily from Asian Americans um, and Asian American critics, which have not really been present up until now. Like they kind of have been really quiet in terms of like representation, but recently, I think ever since the 2016 Oscars, yeah, where Chris Rock hosted, and that joke kind of spiraled into this discussion of Asian American representation and how they're an underrepresented minority in film. That has really sparked a movement about whitewashing and like discussions about it, which I think is really good. As an Asian American, I really would love to see people who look like me on the big screen. Like, ever since I was uh, young, you know, I would turn to a lot of web series and a lot of, like, YouTubers who were Asian American because those were people, like, uh, media that coming from people who understand my experiences. Which is why anime is really interesting to me because it comes from a distinctly Japanese perspective. So I don't completely, like, relate to it as much. But I do think it's important... Um, to have that representation. So, I don't know. I mean, here are my thoughts on it. I'm going to go into it. (laughs) So, I think that in terms of adapting anime to the big screen, um, Hollywood is the only industry that is capable of doing that. They're the only ones who have the resources and the money. Um, The reason that Japanese anime is so, like, um, sweeping and grand and just, like, limit-pushing is because they don't have the resources in their own live-action film industry to do that. So, like, a lot of the Japanese films that you will see tend to be, you know, smaller, subtle, slice-of-life films. Um, They don't do really grand blockbusters, usually, because they don't have those resources. So when they want to do a grand blockbuster, you'll see that in an anime. You see that in, like, Princess Mononoke, for example, Paprika, Akira. Um, So I think that, like, bringing anime to an international field is a good thing. Um, and the only way to bring that to an international field is Hollywood. But at the same time, it's a sketchy subject, too, just because, like, anime is very rooted in Japanese culture, and the stories that they tell usually are. Um, and uh, although there is a lot of debate over why Japanese anime characters look so Western, mm. I'm going to bring this up, <laughs> um, and, like, why can't we bring them and, like, to and to Hollywood and make cast white characters as them, um, and there was this really great article I read on The Verge about how anime rose um, in post World War II Japan, hmm. um, and it was kind of like they were trying to reach out to American markets and appeal to them by creating like this animation and these figures and and uh, merchandise that would appeal to the American audience. So they made them look a little bit more Western. And in the process, it kind of be- they kind of began their own self-erasure mm. of, like, their cultural identity because they made them look less Japanese, whereas, like, you know, a lot of Japanese artwork up until then, you know, they always look would look Japanese. But, mm. like, in a lot of anime, you see bigger eyes, paler features, smaller faces, those kind of things. Although, small face, yeah, well, it depends. Um, so, Raphael, what... What do you think about that? So when we're talking about this, and this is something that very much comes up when people talk about Japanese animation because they are very struck by the fact that these characters, they have these wild hair colors and these big eyes, and, you know, they don't look particularly Japanese, or so people think. But I would challenge people to then look at the sort of cartoons that come from Western countries and, for example, that come from America. Elmer Fudd does not look like the average white European descended human being. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Dick Tracy does not look like the actual usual person. People do not have faces with 90 degree angles in them. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these figures are to the people who are making them and to the people who are for the most part consuming them. They just see them as, you know, like we would see a stick figure. Or like, let me see, for example, as a white person would see a stick figure. There is the perhaps inclination to assume that that is a representation of a white person because Mm -hmm. that is who they are. You know, there is that implicit bias in every human being. 
understand that Japan is a largely homogenous country. It's not completely, as some descriptions would put it, because、mm-hmm. there are other ethnic groups living there.、Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a largely homogenous country in which, as a Japanese person, you have the ability to go your entire life only interacting with, in your life, other Japanese people. Only, totally, completely, especially if you don't live in some place like Tokyo that has a lot of tourists in it.、Mm-hmm. So, to you, until it is said or made clear that this character is not a Japanese person, you're going to assume that they're a Japanese person,、mm-hmm. especially if they have a Japanese name. I mean, a lot of this stuff, it only makes money in Japan. So, it is true that there is sometimes the Wanting to make stuff that, that hits overseas, but I think people kind of like they see that Osamu Tezuka or somebody like、mm-hmm. that used to do that a lot of day, and he was really about Disney and this、mm-hmm. stuff, but not everybody over there was like that. Like, <laughs> the, the story is a little bit more complex. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not meaning to be a contrarian or anything, but I'm, I'm saying it's like it wasn't just Tezuka and it wasn't just people trying to copy Disney, it was、mm-hmm. a little bit more complex than that. Interesting. Yeah, Tezuka is the one who created Astro Boy.、Mm-hmm. And that was, he was kind of the vanguard of trying to appeal to that American audience with Astro Boy and with a lot of his merchandise. That's what I was talking about earlier.、Mm. But yeah, that's a good point, Raphael. Oh, one thing I, I, you, you,、um, we're bringing up like how a lot of anime is enrooted in Japanese culture. And Netflix's recent、uh, announcement of doing a Death Note. Mm-hmm. Live action adaptation in America、mm-hmm. and changing the character's last name to, I think, what is his, his name in Japan? Yagami. Yagami. Yeah, and then、mm-hmm. now he's going to be Turner. 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 It's a very American name. And, <laughs> and so, so a lot of people were making fairly odd parents. Yeah, Timmy Turner. Timmy Turner. <laughs> and、uh, a lot of the think pieces and articles I was reading were talking about how De- Death Note in particular is, you can't do it in America. Like the、mm-hmm. story behind, of, Yagami's like upbringing is so rooted in Japanese like school、mm-hmm, culture、right. and like upbringing that doing that in America wouldn't make sense like、mm-hmm. at all. Right.、Um, and so people were talking about how you could do it at, in, you know, a live action version, just not a, a white American guy being the main character. Right.、Yeah. I wonder if there's a way to successfully adapt an anime, honestly. Like, do you lose a lot of the Japanese, like, Roots and, and like culture that you, that are ingrained in like those anime. For example, Ghost in the Shell.、Mm-hmm. It was really rooted in like the Japanese tech boom of the 90s and how like they, like Japanese society thought of like technology and how it would, you know, engulf us essentially.、Um, like literally jack in, yeah, in the back of the neck. Exactly.、Right. I mean, we see a lot of like that influence with the Matrix too.、Mm-hmm. Which is influenced by Ghost in the Shell. Yeah,、right? yeah. Um, and um, I don't know. I think. There's a way to be inspired by anime, but I don't know if like, there's a way to do like, straight ja- like, adaptations of animes. Just because you lose a lot of the messages、mm-hmm. that come with those animes and like, that come with like, the knowledge of that culture. It's true.、Um, I think that I'm never for whitewashing.、Mm-hmm. And I think that if they do straight adaptations with Japanese actors and actresses, Now, in the culture we're living in, I think it could, it may not make $150 million、mm-hmm. at the box office, but I think critically it could, it could still work and then have more of those. And then eventually, like, they'll make more money. Like,、mm-hmm. if, the, if, the, if Hollywood's issue is it's not going to make money,、mm-hmm. then they can, I don't think that that's a worry、mm-hmm. that they, that they should have. There's to, so many different, Outputs now.、Right. Like、you can do straight to Netflix, straight to Hulu.、Right. Like、you don't have to worry about a, a big theater launch. You can do something. You can, you can kind of do what Netflix is doing with a, like an, a series adaptation of Death Note live action, but just don't whitewash it.、Mm-hmm. Like、I, just, I think that that's the, the, one of the main problems is、mm-hmm. that they, they're like, we're going to take the visuals, but、uh, cast Scarlett Johansson. Mm, exactly. It's like just plucking out what they like about the anime and then just putting, putting that in a mishmash together. Because, like, that was the thing is I, I watched Ghost in the Shell, the 1995 movie,、mm-hmm. a couple months ago when the first trailer for the Scarlett Johansson movie was released. Because I just wanted to, you know, I've heard things, you know, was inspired, The Matrix was inspired by it.、Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, this is a good time for me to catch up on it. So I watched it on Hulu and I was like, this is a very visually great anime. That 
um, you know, I can see why Hollywood would want to make it live action. Mm -hmm. And like the trailers, I was like, this looks really cool, like visually. And like, I think it would, it could translate well to like live action. Like now that computer generated, computers can generate such imagery Mm. that in 1995 or not even 2005, they couldn't. Right. Like this is a good time to do live action Mm. adaptations of this kind of stuff. But I think, uh, Actor wise and like story wise, you know, like they're not doing the same adaptation. They're like they're changing it around. They're yeah. doing yeah. They're just picking and choosing what they like exactly, about it, and, which and, is kind of appropriation. And like I heard, <laughs> I heard what the story was for Ghost in the Shell, and it's not the same as the animated yeah. movie. And it they change a lot. They double down on the whitewashing to a literal plot point. Yeah, <laughs> it's an actual plot point yep. of having Scarlet not Scarlet Johansson. I mean, not her as an as like she's not herself but her like character. her character like there's a that's there's a plot point there mm-hmm. i i'm actually with ht on this one i don't think that there's a way to um adapt uh anime into live action as like a straight adaptation i just don't think the mediums uh correspond well enough to do the adaptation but i think you can be inspired by, and you can kind of, like, like, you look at something like Pacific Rim, and you can't watch Pacific Rim and not be, not think of, like, the mecha anime genres. You can't think of, like, Gundam Wing or, like, Neon Genesis. Like, those all, like, inspired Pacific Rim, but Pacific Rim was its own thing while also still, like, harking back to, like, the mecha anime genre. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of how you best adapt it even though it's not like an adaptation i just sometimes i just don't really i look at anime and it doesn't really translate to live act like a straight live action like shot for shot like trying to like get every single visual the same it just doesn't work mm-hmm. in live action in my mind oh obviously and maybe not i'll be proven wrong be, uh, adapted mm-hmm. yeah well and so i'm just saying anime specifically to me feels like it is its own thing so much that it shouldn't be a straight adaptation live action, but I think, like with Pacific Rim, you can do your own thing with or it. Or even with The Matrix. Yeah. That's another example. Or Inception. Yeah. Like, or those Inception. just pull influences from anime, but are not particularly just taking anime as as it is, adapt to live action. I didn't realize Inception was inspired by anime. Oh. Um, the hallway scene is very much inspired by a scene from Paprika. Actually, a lot of Inception's visuals are inspired by the, Paprika. The Aronofsky, right? Uh, no, it's uh, Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan, sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of, um, what's it called again? Uh, Requiem for a Dream. I think it, it, that pulled some visuals from um, Perfect Blue mm-hmm. by Satoshi Kon. Because mm-hmm. Aronofsky, I think he either purchased the adaptation rights for Perfect Blue or another Kon uh, film. But then, like, yeah, like the, the film that he purchased those, like, adaptation rights, he also, like, visually referenced that film scene in his movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I love animation in general and anime, and I think that they really reach creative heights within animation mm. that you can't reach within live action. So honestly, why not just release anime in the theaters? <laughs> I think right. that comes back to our, our larger conversation that we've been having over the past couple episodes, especially with Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. is, you know, are these remakes quote-unquote necessary? And we have different opinions. Mm-hmm. I, Anya says, Anya, you believe that it doesn't matter if it's necessary you know, they can still be made, um, whereas... Yep, and they can still have value and worth. Yeah, and they can still have value and worth, and the original uh, the version of something could be still has a lot of worth, mm-hmm. like what we were talking about with Beauty and the Beast last week. Mm-hmm. So, but at the same time, animation is not a lesser medium, and I've talked about exactly. this a lot, we, as has Anya. It's just a different... It's literally just a different medium. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. Yes. So I think that's a good way to wrap up our anime discussion. Um, thanks for bringing in so much to that, Raphael. Mm-hmm. If you guys have thoughts about anime in general, the anime trends, and um, U.S. adaptations of anime movies, uh, let us know. But before that, we'll go to our last segment of the episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. All right. Um, Anya, why don't you start us off? What do you really, really like this week? Um, I really like that, Raphael, that you were in this episode. I feel like I learned a lot. So just thank you for being in the episode. <laughs> that was really cool. I learned so much. Um, <laughs> the actual really, like, the big one um, is that the event that I've been talking about for months finally happened. I finally saw Neil Gaiman. 
And it was life-changing. <laughs> I mean, that sounds really hyperbolic. But also, I love Neil Gaiman so much, and I have for years. And seeing him in person and just getting to like hear him talk for two hours was one of the most wonderful, beautiful things I've ever experienced in my life. Um, yeah, I'm sounding very just like over dramatic, but like that's how much I love Neil Gaiman. <laughs> um, and so I'm just really glad I got to see him. It was incredible. I'm glad you got to see him too, and I also love him as well. And I'm sad that you didn't get to relay that message to him, but I'm sure he knows in my heart, in his heart. <laughs> in his yes. Heart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Raphael, why don't you go next? Um, so I'm not sure if I would say I really, really like, but I find this really, really interesting. Um, to tie it back to the anime thing, mm-hmm. I very recently learned that Funimation, of all people, are going to be releasing on DVD this uh, f- film, the first live, a- the first feature-length uh, animated film from Japan called Momotaro's Divine Sea Warriors, oh. and it's very particularly interesting because it is a propaganda film. It is a World War II propaganda film that features a very interesting scene at the end with. Um, a negotiation between Momotaro, who is the main character, and some of the allied forces, who I think are supposed to be UK soldiers, and their part of the dialogue is in English, which, given the time frame and given the circumstances, suggests to me that these voices are provided either by people who turn tail or are POWs. Interesting. Yeah, so Momotaro's Divine Sea Warriors. Mm. Um, Funimation is doing the the U.S. or Western like DVD release. It's interesting again because yeah. it's a propaganda film. Yeah, but Funimation it has evolved his, people. Too. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, a lot of historical worth to that film. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh! <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, so my really like for this week is that Joss Whedon has been rumored to direct Batgirl. I know that Anya has is on the fence about this, but I really love. I'm not on the fence. <laughs> she, she, she I'm, I'm decidedly on the other. I am on the other side of the fence. Yeah, than okay, you. we've had discussions about our uh, Joss Whedon, and um, <laughs> yes, we, we'll table that for another time. <laughs> Anya has a complicated relationship with the Batgirl. <laughs> It's not that complicated. <laughs> yeah, but you like, you you like Firefly, saying... and you like some of his work. Firefly is, like, where it stops. Oh. okay. <laughs> well, I'm a huge fan of Whedon, despite some of his problems. I think that they're, um, they, I don't want to say they don't matter, but they are less compared to his achievements. Um, and I really, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is one of my favorite shows. Um, I will watch it anytime, even though it's now off Netflix, which I'm really sad about. It's on Hulu, though. It is on Hulu. <laughs> PSA for all you Buffy fans. So the fact that he's been rumored to be... I, don't, I think it's stronger than rumored, because he's apparently in talks um, to direct Batgirl. He is in yes, talks. Um, for Warner Bros., um, which is a funny move away from Marvel to uh, DC. But I think he's a great fit for Batgirl, just because she really fits in the vein of like the female characters that he likes to write and direct, uh, kind of in terms of like this... In, like Kind of similar to Buffy, just like the... The young girl who has, you know, is very righteous and like wants to help, but she kind of like is coming into her own at the same time. Um, and I feel like he could do a really good adaptation of Batgirl of Burnside, which is the new 52 uh, version of Batgirl after she uh, gets cured from her paralysis and becomes Batgirl again and moves into a hip Brooklyn type neighborhood in, in uh, Gotham. And is that where she has the new? Uh, she has the new outfit. The new outfit. Mm-hmm. It's like practical yeah yeah it's very it's very fun it's very snarky and it's a very like whedon-esque version of batgirl that i could see coming to the big screen and it would just be so refreshing to have this like ray of light of batgirl in like the dark and and gloomy dc extended universe so i'm really happy for that um yeah that's my really like for this week and Mine is uh, the second trailer for War of the Planet War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, I've been uh, following the the new reboot of the Planet of the Apes movie since Rise of the Planet of the Apes in 2011, and then Dawn of the Planet of the Apes in 2014, and now there's this third one in possible trilogy. More, I, I'm you know they're not at the point where the original was yet. They're still. With, there's still a lot of humans. You know, this is literally the war for the for the planet. Like mm-hmm. this is like the the war to end all wars, but with monkeys and <laughs> sorry apes. Um, and you know, they're really taking a 
I wouldn't say grim and gritty approach to this to this series, but like a dramatic approach. Like mm. like you, there's in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, there's plenty of action, but there's also plenty of character moments within just the apes. Like there's never, you know, there isn't a human for the first fifteen minutes of the movie. Mm. Um, and so I'm excited to see this new foray into this these like the new the next chapter with War for the Planet of the Apes, where basically like all hell is about to break loose and you know whoever decide you know whoever wins gets the planet and woody harrelson's in charge of the humans and caesar is still in charge of the of the apes and i'm just excited because also the motion capture in the these planet of the apes movies is by far the best mm. and andy circus is the main guy in uh the main ape he's caesar he's been caesar since rise of the planet of the apes you know he did king kong he was kong mm-hmm. in peter jackson's kong movie he was Gollum, mm-hmm. and like he's kind of a pioneer of uh, motion he, capture as movies yeah, like movies as an actor movies. as a performer mm-hmm. in this and so it's really interesting to see this is almost a culmination of all that hard work he's done mm-hmm. for the past 17 years and he's even. also been behind like a lot of the technology too like he's been uh, yeah. helping with the production of that and like avatar was a big part of that mm-hmm. um he, even though he wasn't a part of it but like the motion capture mm-hmm. and lord of the rings like and, like, we were talking last week about how Beauty and the Beast, some of the animation was kind of, like, on its face was kind of not great. Mm-hmm. And, like, we were talking about how Planet of the Apes can do it really well. So it's, I'm excited to see what they can do mm-hmm. with the animation of the, of these faces um, and the story of Caesar and where they're going with it. All right, so that is our episode for the week. Um, like HT said, if you have any thoughts on anime, come chat with us, as well as if you have any thoughts on Neil Gaiman and his new book, Norse Mythology, or the trailer for War for the Planet of the Apes, uh, Joss Whedon directing Batgirl, and I'm going to forget the title of yours, Raphael. It's Momotaro. Momotaro's Divine Sea Warriors. Divine Sea Warriors, that's what it is. <laughs> if you have any thoughts on any of those, Come chat with us, and where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're on SoundCloud, and we're on iTunes and Google Play, where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us there. And where can they find you guys on the internet? Raphael, where where can they find you first? So, uh, throughout social media, I'll spell it out. R-A-H- I-S-C-H-I-L-L-I-N. Raw is chillin'. So on Instagram, Twitter, and where have you. Yeah. Awesome. You can find me at HTranBui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. You can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thank you for joining us with mm-hmm. this episode, Raphael, and thank you all for listening in. <laughs> all right. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.